0: welcome to think jewish and uh it's been a long break from before the high holidays until until today and uh we're starting the new session and we begin with Parshas lech lecha this week's torah portion so today's topic is lech lecha a two-way trip subtitle people don't make it because they buy a one-way ticket lech lecha is a two-way trip if you only buy a one-way ticket you're not going to be able to reach the destiny of this journey so let's start with the primary two questions that are very often asked in different teachings of chasidus and different mysticism teachings which is as follows number one the word is lech lecha god gives abraham the commandment actually this point is not called abraham it's called abram avram and he gives him the commandment to go lech lecha. go So the exact reading of the verse is, And God said to Avram, Go forth from your land and from your birthplace and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Question number one is, that the word lech lecha, lecha, what does lecha mean? To you. Lech means go, lecha, to you. So the question is, why does it say lech lecha? go to you. It should have said, lech ma'artzacha, go from your land. Why does it say, go to you from the land? This doesn't make sense. The verse seemingly doesn't make sense. We never find that. Whenever there's a commandment or anytime the Torah tells us go, it says lech and tells us where to go. There's never the lech, lecha, to you. Question number one. Question number two the order of the traveling is in reverse. The order of the traveling is from your land, and from your birthplace, and from your father's house. Simply, 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 demographically speaking, this is impossible. First, you step out of your father's house, then, you step out of your birthplace, which means your neighborhood, and then, you step out of your land. So the verse seems to be giving us reverse directions. He's telling Abraham first lech, go out from Arzacha, from your land. And after you get out of your land, go further, so to speak, and then what? And then go out of your father's house. I'm sorry, then I go out of your birthplace, which is the neighborhood, and then go further out of your father's house. Demographically speaking, this is just reversed. Two famous questions that are asked in many places Concerning this opening commandment of our parasha. So, before we get carried away into the mystical, into the Hasidic part of it, and what we can learn out of it, just share with you that Rashi, the famous Rabshlomo Shlomo Yitzchaki, Rashi, he is a commentator from the 11th century, lived in old France, and Rashi is the most classical commentator because he set the rule many times in the beginning of his, of his uh, commentary. I am here only to explain the simple explanation. In other words, he was a cheder teacher. So he wasn't expounding or extrapolating. He just wanted to make sure that the simple yecheder boy understands what the verse is saying. So obviously Rashi has to speak up here. Because the simple boy, you don't have to be a Talmudic scholar to understand. that the words, lech, lecha is problematic. Go to you is problematic. So therefore, Rashi comments and he takes it out of its literal translation. He says, over here, don't read the word lech lecha, go to you, but rather read the word lech lecha, go for you. Bishvilcha, for your sake. So God's telling Abraham, I'm telling you to go, but Yishno, I'm telling you it's for your sake. And Rashi lists off that Hashem tells him by leaving your father's home leaving your birthplace and leaving your land you will achieve three things that you won't be able to achieve over here number one you're going to have a child number two you're going to have fame and number three you're going to have parnasah, you're going to have wealth so lech, lecha, go for your sake by the way parenthetically speaking stepping off the topic of today's class The Rebbe, blessed memory, asked an unbelievable question. Avraham Avinu is the one that said, I am dust and ashes. He was the ultimate epitome of humbleness. We're going to buy him off with what? With fame? God's telling him, go. Why should you go? You'll have fame. Since when does Avraham Avinu care care about fame? Avraham Avinu is renowned for, for that verse. And I am but dust and ashes. And the Rebbe gives an unbelievable insight. What happened was that by this time already, with all his uh, showdowns with King Nimrod against idols and uh, teaching monotheism, it became already that Avram's identity carried the identity of God. When Abraham behaved in a certain way, they said, Oh, so this is the way God's people behave. Therefore, Avram Avino was at that stage that his fame was God's fame. If Avram becomes famous, what is he famous for? Everyone knows that Avram is synonymous with that there's only one God. An interesting parenthetical teaching here. But that's what Rashi says. If you want to know what the word Lech Lecha is, don't go to the literal translation of to you, but rather, in the looser sense, for you. I'm telling you to do this for your sake. Lech lecha. However, Kabbalah, Hasidis, they take it literal. Lech lecha means go to you. And we need to understand what that means. Lech lecha. However, what we're going to learn is that in the teachings of Hasidis and Kabbalah, Lech Lecha began an eternal journey for every single person. Every person from this moment on, from the the commandment in the third Torah portion of Lech Lecha, 20 generations after, after creation, you notice 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and then 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. So 20 generations after mankind was created began the journey of go to yourself. Go deep within yourself and find the inner core of your soul. And we'll soon see what that all means, and what's the two-way trip. However, what I'm just trying to point out is that while Rashi teaches a child how to deal with the verse in the most simple sense, but Kabbalah and Hasidists say, no, read it exactly as it is stated. Lech, lecha. And now for here and ever after, every soul that descends into this world has the journey of lech lecha. The soul in the body has to deal with this journey. Lech lecha. And where is the journey to? Lech lecha, go to your inner core, your inner self. And then the verse tells you where you're going to reach is el ha'aretz to the land that I will show you. This land that I will show you is a place where a soul that doesn't come down into a body can never reach and the soul that does come down into the body within the body it becomes a very difficult journey but it is the only journey that can help you reach to that place and this we need to understand so we have an understanding of what the word lech lecha means go to you and you should know that this is the journey of every single human being Every single Jew, every single soul that comes down here has to take this journey. That's the reason the soul comes down here, to get the lech lecha journey. But nevertheless, we're still troubled by the first question. Why is the order of the leaving, of the journey, the itinerary itinerary seems to be written backwards? From your land, from your birthplace, from your your father's house. So, I'm going to share with you a very interesting story, it's a metaphor so let me introduce to you a man by the name of Rab Mendel Futafas Rab Mendel Futafas, unbelievable human being he was in our generation the mentor par excellence. Uh, He was actually born an orphan of his father and that's why his name was Rab Menachem Mendel Ben Menachem Mendel at a very young age he was sent to the city of Lubavitch in Belarus, in White Russia. And he was very endeared by the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe. And he grew up in the heart of Lubavitch. And then later, finally when he got out of Russia, uh, he was sent to Israel by the Rebbe, and there he served as a mentor, as a mashpia in the famous yeshiva of Kvachabad. I merited to study under him in 1984, and whenever he would come to the rebbe um, for any, very often Brooklyn, New York, he would always come for the rebbe's holidays and everything to be with the rebbe. I would always make sure, together with all the other bachrim, I am not outstanding in this. We all, we all knew. Make sure you buy Rambam's *For Bringing*. Rambam's was full of metaphors. Now Ramendel was such a unique person that when he told a metaphor. The purpose of telling it in a metaphor was that it slipped by your arrogant ego that wasn't able to hear what you're supposed to hear. And once the metaphor in his humorous way slipped by your ego defense, when it got into your heart, you heard exactly what you were supposed to hear. So if he was to do it straight on, right in between the eyes, we'd put up our defense system. No one likes that, but he he just knew how to do it. He knew how to do it lovingly, with a chassidische story, a metaphor, in a humorous way. And then before you knew what happened, the message hit home. And you knew exactly what he was saying. I want to refer to one of his metaphors in order to understand what this journey of Lech Lecha is all about. What this two-way trip is. Before I can tell you what this metaphor is, I have to introduce to you one of the finest Shabbat delicacies of European Jewry. And it's called kishka. The word kishka actually means intestines. That's what it literally was. You took out the intestines, the kishka of the animal. You cleaned it very, very, very well. And then you stuffed it with the finest uh, delicacies of uh, flour and other spices and whatever you you filled it with. And you actually sewed it together. And then you put that into the chaland. And then Shabbos morning, you had literally... <laughs> the most delicious kishka so now you know what kishka is so now let me begin Mendel's metaphor so there was this man from ashtetl and this man was traveling on business and he comes across a host and a hostess that invite him for shabbos and for the first time in his life he tasted kishka he was just blown away ranting and raving and he wouldn't leave the house after shabbos until the hostess wrote him down the exact recipe of how to make kishka nope he comes home he tells his wife listen malka i need you to make this exactly the way it's supposed to be done she wrote down the exact 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 recipe ingredients how to cook it how long to cook it where to put it what to do do it exactly the way it was supposed to be done and you will experience the finest delicacy of Shabbat. It says in the holy books that Shabbat is meein olam haba. Shabbat has the taste of the world to come. He told his wife, and this is it. You got to prepare this kishka, right? Okay. The wife sees that her husband is extremely enthusiastic about it. So she makes sure. Comes Friday, she does her shopping, she buys everything that's on that list of ingredients, exactly the way it's supposed to be comes home and starts preparing it exactly the way the recipe demands to prepare it. And that's it. He makes kiddish Friday night, he goes to Shul Shabbat morning, comes back full of anticipation for this amazing Cholent with Kishka that he's now going to have, and he eats his, makes his kiddish, eats his fish, sings his miris, and the time has come. So in the olden days, it wasn't like today, you didn't have like the pot just laying on the fire, they used to wrap it up in towels. It's actually whole laws how to do it. When you, when you create that, it should build up its own heat. So she unwraps it, brings the pot out to the Shabbos table, opens it up, Oi, ve. There is such a horrid smell coming out of that cholin pot. Immediately they cover back the cholent and she removes it from the house. He is just, he doesn't understand what happened here. He's looking at his wife. Malka, did you follow the exact ingredients? Did you follow the exact instructions? And she assures him, absolutely, exactly the way it's written. No. After this whole, he's assured by it. So he's thinking, he says, I know what happened. This hostess probably doesn't want to give me the real recipe. Because like this, it'll be their family's heirloom. They'll always know, oh, that family, that has a chalun. They don't want to reveal it. So she lied to me. I'm going there right after Shabbos. We're going to get to the bottom of this. If she didn't want to tell me the recipe, she should have told me no. Don't make a fool out of me and don't ruin my Shabbos table. Very well. After Shabbos is over, he packs his bag and he heads out to that other city and he goes back to the host and the hostess. He knocks on the door and he is having a fit. You don't owe me anything, you were nice to me, you took me in a Shabbos to eat, I tasted your kishka. But if you weren't gonna give me the recipe, then just tell me that you're not gonna give me the recipe. Don't humiliate me, don't ruin my Shabbos, don't make a ridicule out of me. Don't just don't do it. She says, What are you talking about? I wrote you down the exact recipe. She says, Well, it didn't taste anything like it, and didn't smell anything like it, and we couldn't even it ruined our whole Shabbos. Finally he's assured that she's not lying. She really shared with him exactly the recipe of the renowned Kishka. So he's just confused. So she sits down the hostess and tells him, one second, you sure that she did exactly your wife did exactly what I told you to do, what to buy, what to put in? He says, Yeah. He says, and says, so what 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 did she do? She says, What do you mean? Pulls out the recipe, says, This is what you wrote? Yeah, this is exactly what she did. So she's standing there, musing over her recipe that she wrote, and she's trying to think, what did I leave out? She says, tell me again exactly what happened. And again, it gets all emotional. What happened? We opened up the pot and it stunk so bad. It ruined everything. We just had to grab it and run out of the house with it. And all of a sudden she says to herself, Oy vey, I didn't write this down. But your wife, she did clean out the kishka, right? And that was the end of the story. You understand what, what's in a kishke while the animal's alive, and you understand what happens if you don't clean out the kishke before you cook it. And then Amendo would quietly tell us it's very important to f- stuff yourself with the delicacies of Torah knowledge and of doing mitzvot. However, if you don't want your Torah study and your mitzvah observance to stink from the horrid smell, of the arrogance of your kishkes, then make sure you daven, pray, because that's how you clean the kishka. You've got to clean the kishka. And that was how he would bring with us. The point of the story here is that there has to be two journeys. There's the journey of cleaning the kishka, and then there's the journey of stuffing the kishke with the finest delicacies. And if you don't do those two, you're not going to get to the land, quote-unquote, which I will show you. So now let's understand what these two journeys are, okay? The first trip is called a trip up, okay? Lech Lecha is a two-way trip, and we need to understand, and when we do understand what the trip up is, you'll see that the itinerary is not at all written backwards. So what does it say? Lech Lecha, go to you, May arzecha from your land, may moladetcha from your birthplace, and may betavicha from your father's house. And what does this mean? So you should know that in the teachings of Kabbalah and Chassidus, it's even quoted in the Talmud, is teaching that land, arzecha, may arzecha from your land. The word arzecha can also be translated as Ratson, your will. The first part of cleansing out your kishka is that you have to get past the I want, I don't want. That cannot be the dominating force of what you do and what you don't do. I do only what I want and I don't do what I don't want. The first step is to get both your feet off the ground onto the first rung of the ladder, the journey up. This has to be first and foremost that I want and the I don't want does not rule what you do and what you don't do. If you're told to do something and the answer is, I don't want to. Or, you're not allowed to do that, I want to. Then we're not getting anywhere. You're not getting onto the Lech Lecha train at all. The next step, the next rung in that ladder, when you go to Lech Lecha is Moladetcha. What is Moladetcha? Moladetcha means your birthplace. In Hasidis, the definition of per- birthplace is the perception because perception, intellect, the way you see things, the way you experience things, it is what controls and gives birth to your emotional reaction. I perceive things in a certain way, and that's why I have the following emotional reaction. It has nothing what to do with reality, because perception does not need to be real in order to create a very distinct and powerful emotional reaction let's give the simple example so the woman is working walking out of Publix at night she finished shopping it's a dark parking lot and right behind her she hears footsteps so she gets nervous it's a dark parking lot she picks up speed she hastens her pace and all of a sudden she feels and hears that the footsteps behind her are also hastened so what happens to her immediately she starts hyperventilating she's sweating She's in a panic, she can't catch her breath. Because in her mind, perception is she's in danger. There's a male who's following her and she's in serious danger. It's a dark parking lot. And then in one split second, she hears her best friend scream out to her, Helen, would you stop? Slow down, I'm chasing you, I can't catch up to you. What happens in that exact split second? In that exact split second, her perception changed and thus, Her emotional reaction changes. So you see that your entire emotional reaction to anything is based upon your perception and you also see that it has nothing to do with whether the perception is real or not. If you perceive something even though it's not true, you're going to have a very powerful emotional reaction to that perception. So the second thing we need to know is, the second rung of that ladder, that journey from down to up, is to get past perception. Perception is not always exactly right. We perceive things based on our upbringing, based on our history, based on our own issues, and not not necessarily is the perception accurate. Very simply speaking, Taking it back to our service to God, our perception of reality, our perception of what God is doing to us, our perception of what God is demanding of us, our perception of who and what God is, good and kind or punitive and vengeful, that will all create emotional reactions and therefore we need to step out of our egocentric, physical perception of reality. And then goes the next final rung, which is, Mebeta Vicha, leave your father's house. Your father's house means the emotions which are born from your father, which is the parent. I don't mean your father is biological father. But in your inner self, if we're saying that the birthplace which gives birth to emotions is the perception, so then intellect is the father, the father's house is the emotions that it gave birth to. So now we're hearing that the journey, step one, layer one, the one-way trip up is written in the correct order. First, you have to leave your I want and I don't want. Without that, you're stuck. From your land, from your will. And then the second place is from your birthplace, known as perception, the intellect, which gives birth to emotional reaction. And then the third step is to change the emotion, the emotional reaction. Okay? By the way, you know, today we have such a wealth of psychological knowledge. It's very simple, really. All therapy is based upon, I shouldn't say all therapy, as if I know all therapy, but a majority of therapy is based upon changing the neural connections, neuroplasticity in your mind. Because we have developed certain connections where there's a trigger, a cause and a reaction. And this trigger of cause and reaction in the brain has a lot to do with our perception of ourself. We were taught certain things about ourselves, which is very inaccurate and then that causes our emotional reaction to ourself and to authority and to God And to certain behaviors. So really this journey is not a journey that, oh, that's some spiritual religious thing. Therapists are dealing with this journey today. To get past the I want, I don't want, perception is a huge thing. Probably the greatest part of of therapy is to change perception of self. Which then leads to emotional reactions and undesirable behaviors. So that's trip number one. I just want to make this very real when we talk about this trip. Here's another Rab Mendel story, but this story I didn't hear from Rab Mendel, it's about Rab Mendel, and I heard it from directly from a mentor who worked under Rab Mendel for many, many, many years. Rab Mendel passed away in 1990 f- 1995, and he still, he should live and be well, he still today the head mentor in the yeshiva Chabad, and his name is Rav Zalman Gopin. So Rav Zalman Gopin told me personally this story. We were talking about something, he was explaining to me something, and he used this story as an example. Rav Zalman Gopin, his forbearance is not as tolerant as Rav Mendel's. As a matter of fact, to be quite blunt, Rav pursuit of to thy own self be true has gotten him in trouble by fabrengance. He's stepped on people's toes. He doesn't let people get away with just you know sitting there rah-rah ranting. You are who you are or don't talk. That's all. So sometimes people get insulted and offended by that. You know, We all like to live behind you know, our screen name. <laughs> Ever saw that uh, joke they have on the internet? So they have a picture of an old man and an old woman. And the old woman is telling the old man, I'm a 22-year-old uh, young male hunk. <laughs> and the guy is telling her, her back, I'm a 23-year-old blonde. <laughs> you know, That's what we like living behind. You know? No one likes to tell. Uh, you know, no one likes to hear, no, this is who you are, and be who you are, and say what you are, and don't move further. So Rab Zalman had less tolerance in his fabrangans, and it did get him in trouble. So one Shabbos, Rab Zalman tells me that he had three fabrangans he had to attend. He told me one was a family occasion, so there was a verbringen. Another one was in the local shul right across the street from his house. They were doing something and he had to be there for a verbringen. And then he had to make his way back to yeshiva, fabrengan with his boys. That's where he worked. So he tells me, he didn't get into details. He didn't tell me what he said. He didn't tell me to who he said. But he told me at the first fabrengan, something he said triggered off another person. The guy got very insulted. Then he made his way to the next verbringen in the shul and over there he was talking about a topic that someone else got all offended and then he left both Fabrengans and he went back to Yeshiva and the minute he walked in he sees Rab Mendel still Fabrengan with the Bahram. and immediately when he walked in the boys immediately cleared up a seat right next to Rab Mendel for him to sit as he sits down he tells me, he turns around to Rab Mendel and says I have a question I Fabreng and people get insulted I just had two Fabrengans and in each Fabrengan someone got insulted you I nudge very often by Pabrengans. And you never get insulted. He told me that a Mendel answered him quietly. I'll tell it to you in Yiddish, and then I'll translate it. Because every single night I truly perform the prayer Kriyat Shema before you go to sleep. Now understand, Kriyat Shema is the last prayer of the day. And it's by Sidim, if done right, it's a very sincere prayer. It can take hours. Because the first thing you say in that Krishna Amittah is Rabbeinu Shalala, Master of the Universe, I forgive. You forgive everyone who stepped on your toes all day. And then you start really looking at who you are. You really start taking and hammering, ar- hammering away at your, at your ego. Rabbi said by Fabrengan once when he was talking about Krishna Amitta, He said, when you start saying the words I forgive whoever... Why do you even need to forgive? Why were you offended to begin with? If you're offended, you need to forgive. So you understand where his mind was going. You really hammer away at your ego and your arrogance. And then after that, you start picking a different character fault. And you bring it to surface. You face it face to face. And you deal with it. So you understand that this journey from below up, this journey of refining, of cleaning out the kishka, from the arrogance, the feces of the human being, which we always think that we are the center of the universe. That is done through prayer. And that is done very seriously. And that's what Amandal is saying. If you don't do this, then how can you not get insulted when someone steps on your toes? Figuratively speaking. Someone's in public for brain and starts telling you who you are and what you are. How can you not get insulted? If you don't do Krishna and Mitta and hammer away at yourself, it's the only sane thing to do. So you understand that the journey up through prayer, the min hameitza from the depths, from the narrow depths of my prison of self, I call unto you, God. And that is a very serious and true journey. And that's the first lech and now you understand that it's written in the improper demographic order. Because first you have to leave the I want, I don't want. Then you have to leave my perception of reality is, and then you change your emotional reactions to your perception of reality. So the first journey. Now let's talk about the second journey. The second journey is downward. The second journey, after the soul has empowered and dealt and elevated and refined and cleansed, cleansed the kishka of the body, now begins the second part of the journey. The second part of the journey is to bring down the inner core of the soul's divinity into the body. Now share with you that this takes great humbleness. You ever, uh, you ever held a flame upside down, does it point downwards? No matter how you hold a flame, the flame will always be pointing upwards. What does the verse say? "Kiner Hashem nishmat Adam For the candle of God is the soul of man. So we are a flame, our soul is a flame, and the soul is consistently yearning to go back up, to go into it, the mother flame, to return into God's infinite. It has no desire to come down here to shed layer by layer by layer, contracting, contracting, contracting until this great divinity is left with what? A physical manifestation in our daily life. The soul is not willing to do that. It doesn't want to do that. It has its natural flow. And to revert its natural flow to shine downwards instead of upwards takes a lot of humbleness. Because as the soul is yearning to be one with Hashem, God tells it, that's what your will is. But my will is for you to shine downward into my creation, into my dark physical creation. So the second journey is not a piece of cake. Don't just think the minute I start working on my, on my bad character traits, the minute I start working on my ego, I'm gonna fill it with divine light. No. There are two very distinct. Difficult journeys. One is to get out of yourself. And the second one is to have your soul within you shine downwards. And shine downward means contraction. That's what it means. Because if you don't contract the light, it cannot fit itself into the physical. The simple physical explanation of this is the concept of shock. You go into a shock when what you experience overwhelmed you. And that's why if you have Red Cross, you take first aid, you'll know that when you have a shock victim, you need to talk to them, get them to talk. Because by getting them to talk about their experience, they're contracting their overwhelming experience into words, which allows them to be on top of it. So whenever you're talking about shining downward, look at it like a V. You're going smaller and smaller and smaller. The amount of divinity that we feel in our physical body, in our day-to-day conscious, is a contracted, 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 ray of a ray of a ray of a ray of the outer layer of the soul of God. The soul which is a piece of God. So you understand that the soul is not very happy when it finds out that this is its journey. Now, what does this journey start from? So look at the first words of the verse. Vayoma Hashem el Avram. And God said to Avram, it's before he had the name Avraham. What does the word Avram mean in Kabbalah? In Kabbalah we we separate the words into two. Av, which means father, Abba, which we now already know from today's lecture that this means intellect. Ram means exalted, Ram Venisa. What does Avram mean? Exalted intellect. If you want to know the exact description of Kabbalah, This is called sechel hanelem mekol Rayan. This is the intellect which is hidden from all thought. That's how exalted it is. It's beyond even conscious thinking, or maybe even beyond subconscious thinking. It's the light that just does not shine into a vessel. Now this is the core essence. And now what does the soul have to do? He has to take this exalted wisdom, this exalted av, and instead of basking passionately in its exaltedness, he has to dissect it, dissect it, dissect it until he can take from that exalted wisdom the intellect which is beyond any thought should become so digestible to the coarse physical human being that that becomes the reason why on the way to work the man puts on tefillin. And that's the reason why the woman will light Shabbos candles. Imagine what just happened here. That exalted, infinite, omnipotent revelation. By the time it goes down, 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 another layer, another layer, another layer. What is it? It's what you would feel while driving on the 95, that sudden feeling, oh my God, I'm a Jew. That's that little drop that came from all the way up there. And this takes a lot a lot a lot of humbleness from the soul it takes a lot of humbleness and we can relate to it many of you may remember the storyline of a movie called mr holland's opus ring a bell with anyone here mr holland's opus it's a storyline of a man who was an amazing composer of music and he ended up having to take a high school teaching job teaching music And then he became the teacher of the band, and he struggled with this horrendously. To make matters worse, he has a son, Cole, and Cole was diagnosed deaf. So you can imagine what's going on in his life. He's not conducting and producing the music that he can. He's teaching high school kids that really have zero patience for any of him and his music teachings. And then he was hoping to leave over an inheritance, his son, Cole. And Cole is diagnosed deaf. And at some point, because of a specific incident, he ends up reaching out to his son and through his son to other deaf students and teaching them music. Comes the time of retirement, he was forced into early retirement because they cut back funding for the school, music. And... As he comes with his son and his wife Iris and Cole as he comes there and's packing up his stuff in his office and he's feeling totally totally dejected that in his self perception his life's goal was wasted what did he accomplish and then Holland is Mr. Holland is brought into the auditorium and to his shock When his students throughout the years found out that he is retiring they all, not all, but many gathered together, they traveled back to school to thank him. And that was the first time that he realized how appreciated and what his accomplishment was in all his years of teaching. And therefore his career was redeemed in his eyes. Now this is a movie, it's not a holy book, it's not a chsiddish story. But I find this story to be so important to understanding the second part of the journey, from top down. Figure for a moment, play with me. So the soul perceives the body as a deaf child, completely incapable of appreciating divine music. And he wants to just go up and compose his own beautiful music for God. And he's told, no, your job is to teach your son, your deaf son, how to play divine music. Your job is to influence physical creatures, ADD high school students. Teach them, teach them beautiful divinity. So you understand that the second half of this journey is as frustrating and as difficult as the first half of the journey. Because they both boil down to the same, same core journey, humbleness. Get out of the I and get into the greater God. It's what the higher power wants. It's not what I think, what I want, what I know, what I feel. Not from the body's perception and not even from the soul's perception. And thus we have the journey of every single Jew in the world. Lech, lecha. Two-way journey. I will share with you that people do not reach the promised land, as it says in the verse, to the land which I will show you. People don't reach that land because they're only willing to have one-way tickets. Some people are only willing to bask in the delicacies of divinity. Study Torah, go out there and teach Torah accumulate mitzvot but they're not interested at all in cleansing out the kishke. they're not interested at all in self-work to work on different character faults to work on the perception of I then there are the people are the exact opposite they're so heads over heels into the self-work They zoom in on every single character flaw, every fear. They want to know where it comes from, and they're in therapy, and they're working on self, and they're very conscious, and they want to just cleanse themselves of all the filth of the human kishka. But they're not very interested in pursuing the divine delicacies. They're not interested in learning that which is beyond psychology. They're not learning, they're not interested in the divinity. And because they're not willing to take a two-way trip, they can never reach that true oneness and will to be one with inner peace with God. Because to get there, you have to do the double lech lecha. Ultimately speaking, to be able to have inner peace, you must fulfill your journey. And your journey is a double journey. My journey is a double journey. Lech lecha. Go up from self, and then bring down divinity into self. So to sum it up, it's pretty much like losing weight. You can't only stop overeating, and you can't only do exercise. It's gotta be both. There's the going out of the overeating, there's the diet of being a mensch, just be a mensch. But then after the diet of being a mensch, is also the exercise of living in the image of God. And that's the double journey, the two-way trip, lech lecha, up and down. Thank you very much.